Ephesians chapter 3. And um, let's begin tonight at verse number 9. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to begin at verse 8, but I've got 9 through 11 on, on the overhead. Sometimes I see myself doing things, and I just saw myself doing this, so I'm going to do it right quick. I'm just going to come right here, and I'm going to sit right here, and I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes, okay? Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul speaking, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we've skirted around some of these things over the years, not because we were avoiding telling the fullness of it, it's because we didn't see the fullness of it like we're seeing it, like we're seeing it now. There's a timing to everything. Father is a God of tremendous order. And that can perhaps best be expressed in what was said to, to Queen Esther for such a time as this. And so I believe that it's just time. It's, it's time for this family of faith, but it's time for this message to be emphasized to the body of Christ. Now, I'm telling you this because sometimes when it's a strong word, I try, to, I try to ease you into it. The Bible talks about God making a promise to Abraham and Sarah, and it staggered them. To the point that when they initially heard it, they laughed. I mean, it was laughable, the thought that what God said could actually be true and come to pass. We see Jesus did the same thing, I guess, in a sense. When he began so many of his statements with most assuredly, sometimes we see that in the King James Version, verily, verily. But what he's doing with that most assuredly I say unto you, he's saying, look, what you're about to hear is going to be so astounding that if you're not careful, it'll stagger you. Another way that I like to break that concept of something staggering you down a little further is that we choke on it. In other words, the idea is that we, we can't chew it up and swallow it. It's just, it's just too much, you know, to swallow. And so I'm going to try to give it to you easy tonight. Amen. Before you will ever understand the rest of what I'm going to say tonight, you've got to understand this basic concept about God. 
God is a trinity. He is one God existing in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all three God. It's not, that it's, some, it's not like it's sometimes God is a Father and then other times He's the Son and then other times He's the Holy Spirit. He's all three at the same time. And of course, from this Godhead, all things in time and space were created. I want to talk to you for a minute about life inside the Trinity, meaning life inside of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see that each one serves the others in, in complete and total submission to them. I told you that God is an eternal community that exists in absolute communion. And what we mean by that is, and I'll just use it as this example, everything that Jesus is, He gives it to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Everything the Holy Spirit is, He gives it to Jesus and the Father. Everything the Father is, He gives it to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Within the life of the Trinity, the community is always more important than the individual. C.S. Lewis, in his writings, described this dynamic of God as a dance. And he says that we should picture this as each member of the Trinity orbiting around the others in a, in a beautiful display of preferring one another and deferring to one another. So when Jesus was baptized, we see an example of this. First of all, we see Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And remember, Jesus never sinned. I don't know about you, I remember when I was a kid, you know, I'd need to go to the altar, but I didn't want to go because I didn't want people to think something was wrong with me. You know? And so Jesus, he goes to be baptized as what? As an act of obedience to his Father. When Jesus comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon him and empowers him. And then Father responds, literally the people present heard the audible voice of God from heaven when he said, that's my boy, and I'm very pleased with him. Okay? So now, that little glimpse in reveals so much to us about how the Godhead operates and functions and serves together. Jesus obeying his Father, the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus, the Father speaking words of love and affirmation to his son. When Jesus came to this earth, he made it clear over and over again. He said, I'm not here to do my own will. I'm not here to do what I want. I'm not here to do what I please. I'm here with one agenda and one agenda only, and that is to do what pleases my father. 
Jesus never spoke of himself. He spoke of his Father. And then Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to you and me. It's part of the plan. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, though, he'll not talk about himself. He'll talk about me. He'll talk about Jesus, right? Jesus never tooted his horn. He tooted the Father's horn. The Holy Spirit never tooted his horn. He tooted Jesus' horn. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. The Holy Spirit came to reveal Jesus to us. Again, do you see this dynamic, how they work together? Timothy Keller commenting on C.S. Lewis's writings, he said, I want you to imagine for a moment 12 dancers on a stage, 12 ballerinas on a stage, and each one of them demanding that the others all dance around or rotate around, around, around her, around the individual. Because that would be chaotic, right? That's not, that's not how a ballet works. A ballet works with the different dancers dancing around or orbiting around one another. So many times our attitude towards God is, God, we want you to dance around us, but we have no desire to dance around or have our lives centered upon Him and orbit around Him. Now, God existed eternally. I know that's a hard concept for your brain to understand, but your heart can understand it if you'll allow it to do so by faith. But God is without beginning and without ending. He's always been and he'll always be. Your brain doesn't know what to do with that because everything your brain's ever encountered has had a beginning and will have an ending or has had an ending. And so our brain says, well, there can't be a God. How can there be? But again, God created time and space and he exists above it or outside of it. That doesn't mean he doesn't come into us and live inside of us. But God is eternal. The earth we're living on right now is in a state of, uh, it's temporal. The point I'm trying to make is that God existed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit forever past and will exist forever in the future. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So he didn't create us because he needed us to survive. Or let me say it another way. He didn't create you because he needed you. He created you because he wanted you. Are you seeing this? He wanted you. And still to this night, he wants you. Now the Bible says we were created by him for him. Some of you know I had a cabinet business for a lot of years and I made a lot of cabinets for a lot of people. Every now and then I'd make something for myself. It's one thing to make something for somebody else. It's another thing to make something for yourself. When God created you, he made you, but he made you for himself. Which leads us to this question. For what purpose? For what purpose? If you believe you created yourself, you haven't thought it through. If you just blindly believe the lies of the enemy that are put forth by this world that Absolutely nothing at some point exploded and became everything. Then as philosophical as someone makes it sound, as scientific as someone makes it sound, at the end of the day, you're still believing that there was a time when there was absolutely nothing, a vacuum, but even then that's something, right? Absolutely nothing just blew up. 
again, there are mysteries here that can only be explained by an intelligent designer, capital I, capital D, which we know as to be the God of the Bible. So all things were created by Him and all things were created for Him. For what purpose? For what purpose? Now the Bible says that the plan that involves you and me was a plan that had always existed in the heart of God. Again, it was back to the timing. For instance, a huge part of the plan was when Jesus became a man and came to this planet. And the Bible simply says it this way in the book of Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, when it was time. You know, there's other dates that have not yet been fulfilled, really important ones. There's coming a day when the curtain is going to drop on this earth and time as we know it. The Bible says that Jesus doesn't even have that information, and I'll explain that later, but only God the Father knows. But there's coming a day when the fullness of time, in other words, when it's time, and the curtain will be closed on this age, and it'll be the dawn of a new age. I want to go way, way back, because another fullness of time event occurred in the, in the brain trust heart of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that was when Father God spoke the word Jesus to the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the deep and said, let there be light. When he said, let there be light, this was when he created time and space. Remember, God exists outside of time and space. He created time and space. He created the earth, the stars, the Garden of Eden, and He created Adam and Eve and put them in it. Again, for what purpose? What was this eternal plan? What was it that was always known within the inner circle that is the Trinity, but did not go into effect or did not begin to be unfolded until God said, let there be light. The plan was to create a being unlike any that God had ever created before. There were angels, but angels are a different type of being. I know a lot of people think, well, you know, my great-grandmother passed away and she went to heaven to be an angel. That's Hollywood. That's not the Bible. Angels are spirit beings created by God to serve you and me. Okay? So the plan was to create a being just beneath God himself and God was going to create this being in his image and in his likeness. Genesis 1.26 and then again in verse 28 he says let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Us and our, key words there, plural pronouns, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
Image and likeness means more than we look like God looks. It means God created us to look like Him, but He also created us to function the way He functions. We talk about this in discipleship class at length. But the reality of it tonight, now this is a port where you could stagger, don't stagger here. The reality tonight is this, you're a God-class being. You're a God-class being. No other living thing on planet Earth, the Bible says, is comparable to you. No other created thing on planet Earth is comparable to you. I'm getting at least one or two sermons ahead of myself when I make this statement, but I'm going to make it anyway. Listen to me very carefully, okay? When God looked for a helper for Adam, there was none on planet Earth comparable to him or compatible with him. So he took Eve from Adam. Remember, Eve came out of Adam. God didn't create another being altogether. He took he took Eve from Adam. And then once they were two separate beings, he joined them together in marriage and they became one again. Okay? Before God ever had the dilemma of there being none comparable or compatible to Adam, he had this dilemma. Whew. There was none comparable or compatible to him. Are you hearing me tonight? None comparable, none compatible to God until he created Adam. But where did he create Adam from? Just like he took Eve from Adam, he took you and me from himself. Let me illustrate it for you this way. The Bible says that God reached down into the dust of the earth and he formed man from the dust. The Bible says it this way that our frame, our physical body, was formed from the dust of the earth and it will return back to the earth. But at this point, Adam was just a statue. And the Bible says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. If I was to take an empty glass and a pitcher of water and pour the water from the pitcher into the glass, the water that used to be in the pitcher is now in the glass. It's the same water. Why am I, what am I talking about? The same life that was in God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit has now been poured into the vessel that was the mud man Adam, and now Adam has become a living, speaking spirit. The same life in God is now in Adam. He took from himself and created a being comparable to him and compatible with him. Don't choke on that, just... Let the Holy Spirit help you tonight. Because I'm not just talking about Adam tonight, I'm talking about you. <laughs> Amen. Right? Right? Can I tell you one of the reasons people run from this kind of teaching and don't like this kind of teaching? Is because, well, for that matter, it's why people run from the idea that there is a God. It's a very convenient thing to believe there is no God because if there is no God, then we just take a dirt nap when life is over and there's nobody to answer to or be accountable to when it's all said and done, right? <laughs> so it's a convenient truth that often clouds even the simplest logic in our minds, right? And so if we're just wretches and worms, 
right? As some of the old hymns like to call ourselves. Then, you know, I might could scrounge up enough good in life to live up to the standard of a wretch or a worm. But if I was created in the image and likeness of God to be comparable and compatible with Him, then that's a whole other standard. And for a lot of people, it scares them. If I was to keep reading tonight in Ephesians, and we won't do it right now, but chapter 4 says, walk worthy of this high calling. And chapter 5 says, be imitators of God as dear children. Now, Father never asked you to live up to something that he didn't give you the capacity to live up to. That's why he put his spirit in you to give you and me the wherewithal to live up to that for which we were created. But I jumped a little too far ahead, so let's get back to tonight. The plan was to create a being in the image and likeness of God, comparable to God and compatible with Him, and to make this newly created being one with Himself to make this newly created being one with himself. This is the mystery. This is the plan. This is the manifold wisdom. This is, man, this is the, this is the heart of it. Now, I covered this this morning, and I'm going to be brief with it tonight, but I just feel compelled because we have so many of our foundry brothers here tonight. I, I want to, if you notice, it says to the intent, verse 10, that now the manifold wisdom of God, now meaning after all this has transpired, Everything that pointed to this, everything that was accomplished leading up to this, including Jesus coming to this earth, dying, raising again, returning to the Father, making a way for us to be just as right in the eyes of God before God as Jesus himself. Now, after everything that has come to pass, the manifold, multi-layered, many-folds wisdom of God might be made known. That word made known also means unfolded. So you've got a very complex plan that's now being unfolded by you and me. We could also say that it's a complex plan that's being made known or proven by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The plan of God concerning you and me to even create us was such a complex, audacious plan that it sent shockwaves through the angelic hosts. Again, it would take me another 30, 45 minutes tonight just to do this one piece alone. We'll do it in discipleship class, but the Bible clearly teaches that the devil's undoing involves you and me. It, he never thought that he could overthrow God. The Bible says he was going to exalt his throne above the stars or the offspring of God, not exalt his throne above God. So what, what Lucifer really said in his heart was, I'll serve you, God, but I'm not going to serve beings created in your image and likeness. If they're going to be like you, I'm going to be like you too. I will be like the Most High God. I'll set on Mount Zion. All those things that he said there. Okay, you still with me? My, are you still with me? It's some heavy stuff. I'm just trying. Notice I haven't raised my voice. I haven't really talked real fast. Five different times I went to get up, the Holy Spirit said, just stay right where you are. So I'm going to stay right here, okay? I'm being good tonight. Amen. Y'all still with me? So the plan was to create a being compatible and comparable to himself and then make us one with him. Make us one with him. 
Now, the reason this plan needs to be made known to the demonic forces is because they questioned it. They didn't, they didn't think it was possible. And here's the key thing, okay? Not because they doubted God's ability, but because this plan involved giving you and me the choice to either love God or love ourselves, serve Him or serve ourselves, go after Him or go after what we wanted. Are you seeing? Now, the one thing God desires doesn't have and can't create. The one thing God desires doesn't have and can't create. The one thing God desires doesn't have and can't create. Okay? Love freely given from a willing heart. Love freely given from a willing heart. Now, if you look at the inner life of the Trinity, Jesus loves God the Father and God the Holy Spirit with everything that he is willingly, freely. He's seeing this. And the same is true with God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God the Father. Are you seeing this? Okay. So now they're going to create a being so much like themselves. One translation says that we were created so much like God that we narrowly missed being God. What? Don't choke. Just hear me. And then God's going to give us the choice. Come to the dance or go do our own thing. Now, this is when Lucifer saw an opening. He's like, hold on a second. If God is in essence creating these folks to expand himself, but they're going to have a choice, maybe, just maybe, I can get them to choose me instead of God so that I can expand myself. Are you hearing me, Ty? And that was the gamble the devil took. So your entire life has been about your creator father trying to love you into loving him and God the Father's enemy trying to deceive you into loving yourself, following yourself, doing what you want, doing what feels good to you, doing what you think's right in your own eyes. So do you see why this plan has to be proven has to be made known, has to be revealed, has to be shown off to the principalities and powers. It's because they questioned the validity. Again, not the devil's dumb, but he's not that dumb. He knows that if it's just God and God alone, that he can do it. But the fact that we're going to have a choice. But if it's not a choice, it's not love. If, if it's forced, if it's manipulated, if it's demanded, if it's required, that's not love. It's not love at all. So again, what he desires doesn't have, can't create. Love freely given from a willing heart. That's why the Bible has so many promises made to people who love God. The Bible doesn't say all things work out for everybody. The Bible says all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The Bible doesn't say that, 
that um, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, um, what God has prepared for everybody, what God has prepared for those who love him. Are you hearing me, right? Those who love him. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay? It's an extremely rewarding life. When you give Father what he doesn't have, can't create. You follow what I'm saying? And yet genuinely desires. Now let's talk about this dance. I don't say I struggle, that's not the right word, but let, let, me, let me try to use my life as an example. I was raised with two of the best parents anybody could ever ask for. Um, awesome, best big brother anybody could ask for. We started ministering together when we were in our teenage years. We had a baby sister that might be more talented than all of us. She's written a whole album full of original songs. I just blessed. Just blessed. Too much has been given, much is required, but just blessed. But there came a day. Now, just hear the, hear the spirit of this and not the letter, okay? There, come a, there came a day when it wasn't good for man to be alone. A man finds a wife, he finds a good thing for his life. In other words, there came a day in order for my life to expand beyond my meaningfulness, my purpose, my fulfillment in life, my contentment in life, in order for it to expand beyond what it had come to, going to have to be somebody else added into the picture. And that's when the Lord brought me a little brown-eyed brunette, Pamela Lee Wilson. Amen. The youth group used to come up. I worked at Chick-fil-A at Western Hills Mall, and they'd come up after work, and we'd throw the Frisbee in the parking lot, and they came in. We were cleaning up, you know, they was ready. Wanting to know when I was going to be through, and they said, new girl's with us tonight. Man, my heart did a little flutter, David. I was like, new girl, huh? Mm. So we dated for a while. We got married. And the Lord made us one. The Lord made us one. And he expanded my life. Then he expanded it further when he added Bethany to us. And then he expanded it even further when he added John Mark to us. And then he expanded it even further when he added Jake to us. And now he's expanding it even further because he's adding Oliver to us. Now, Laugh now, laugh later, judge me now, judge me later. I left out the day that he added Colonel to us. Now, not that Colonel is the same as one of my children. That's our Yorkshire Terrier, if you're wondering. He's in my office right now. 
one of the most faithful church members we got. He's here every time the doors are open. But even then, he added to me. He didn't just become a part, but he added value. He added love. He added joy. He added... The Lord has taught me so much through that little puppy. Things that, amen, I, I'm not here to preach on that tonight. But notice now, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be, you know, on my way to heaven or whatever. But what if I was, what if I never met Pam? What if I'd never, are you following, are you following what I'm saying? What if I had, you know, never had Bethany, never had John Mark, never had a son-in-law named Jake, son-in-love named Jake, never. You, are you understand what I'm saying? In other words, in order for God to increase me, he had to expand me. He had to add to me. It's his way. Now, take a deep breath. The plan of God that he kept hidden inside of himself for all of eternity past, that was set in motion when he said, let there be light, wasn't just to create some toy, some pet, some experiment, see if it'd work out. It was a plan that literally involved expanding himself. God created you because he wanted to add you to him. Hear me now. Hear me now. God is love. Let, let me, I know that I'm simplifying things that are so eternal tonight. I believe that at some point, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit looked at one another and they said, what we got going on right here is too good to keep to ourselves. too good. Remember now, God is love. And love wants to express itself in giving and generosity and sharing. Right? So God, by His very nature, is a giver. He shares. And they're like, you know, we got so much love to go around. Now, I'm going I'm to be silly tonight, but I I'm still making a point. I've had a couple of friends over the years that if you ask them, how are things going, they would respond with a statement something like this. If things got any better, I'd have to be twins to handle it. You ever heard that expression? I'd have to be twins. In other words, things are so good that I'd have to be another person for it to get any better. Well, that may be the most rudimentary way of saying tonight what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us. But, but that was, in an essence, what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit said to one another. For my glory, for our glory, for the glory of God to increase beyond what it is right now, we're going to have to have more people a part of this. More people a part of us. We're going to have to have more who will be one with us in order to expand from here. And that's exactly what they did. 
That's exactly what this plan's all about. Now, depending on what you know up until this point and how you were raised, this may sound far-fetched to you. It may even sound blasphemous to you. Years and years ago, not long after we moved into this building, there were people who had been with us for, you know, I thought they would be here like tonight, you know. And I preached on some things around this subject. And they became so offended. And, uh, and they left the church. And I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable tonight. But one of the main strategies that the enemy uses against us is to get us to settle for less than God's best. We will grow to a certain point in the things of God and then we don't grow any further from there. And in order to grow, you got to know. In other words, I, the Bible talks about, you know, expanding the, the you know, you've got the tent post and you've got the, the, the rope that anchors it. And the Bible talks about stretching those, lengthening those. And so... If, and I'm, I'm as convinced tonight as I've ever been, so I use the word if as a communication tool for you because like you're saying, well, I'm not sure this is true or not, Pastor Mark. I'm not sure this is right. Okay, so um, if it is, if this really is what God was all about, if this really is what he had in mind, that he wanted to share himself with us, Bible says he's withheld nothing from you. You realize that? I mentioned a moment ago that only Jesus, I'm sorry, that only the Father knows when Jesus is coming back, that Jesus himself doesn't know. Do you know why? Because as a joint heir with Jesus, you're entitled to know and receive everything from the Father that Jesus is entitled to. If Jesus told him, he would have to tell us. That's what it means to be a joint heir, an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. When you were born again, the Bible says that your old spirit, God buried with Jesus, and then he put a new spirit in you. And then your new spirit and God's spirit became one spirit. That's not my opinion. I didn't write that. That's... That's the word of God. Let me finish here and we'll expound on this more next week. This one, I, it's like I've read it for so long. We are the branches to his trunk. Think about that for a minute. Would you ever look at a tree and say that the branches 
were not a part of the tree? Would you ever look at a tree and say the branches are not one with the tree? Would you ever look at a tree and say that the life that's in the trunk is not in the branches? Would you ever look at a tree and say, well, that branch isn't comparable or compatible with that trunk? No, he's the vine, he's the trunk, and we're the branches. And the fruit that's in the trunk is produced through the branches. There's a few things in nature that if we didn't know it was true, we wouldn't believe it was true. Jesse Duplantis said the mighty oak tree is nothing more than an acre that held its ground. And that's true, right? 150 foot tree, 60 inch diameter base came out of a something about that big. But it's true. An apple tree, those apples come out of that tree. Those apples are in that tree. And they, they, they literally, that tree pushes that fruit out of the branches again. It's not like somebody comes in the middle of the night and hangs them on there like Christmas ornaments. They come out of that tree. Deep within the tree. But there's a living union between the tree and the branch. And Jesus said, if you'll abide in me, you'll bear a lot of fruit in life. We're talking about comparability now. We're talking about compatibility now. We're talking about oneness. Oneness. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. You know what's sad to me? Paul said it this way. He said, my life's work is to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus to non-Jewish people and to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery. To make all see what they've previously been blinded to. I started some time ago, the Lord laid this on my heart, and if he lays it on your heart, that's fine. Don't, don't just do it because I'm saying I do it or whatever, but I like to steal myself, steal my mind when I lay down to go to sleep. And a lot of times I'll take a verse and I'll just meditate on that verse, mutter it to myself, repeat it over and over in my mind. And then if I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll do that. And I've just trained myself to do that. Some time ago, and I believe this is connected with the things that Father's revealing to us now by the Holy Spirit, but some time ago, I, just, I began to just simply confess over and over again, not loud enough to wake Pam up, but 
and sometimes inaudibly, but in my mind, I am one with my Father, and my Father is one with me. I am one with my Father, my Father is one with me. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. I am in Him, and He's in me. Jesus is in the Father, and the Father's in Him. Jesus is in the Father, and I'm in Jesus, then I'm in the Father with Jesus, because me and my Father are one. And I'll just sit there, and as many variations of that, I, I may do it. The night the Lord was delivering me from the kidney stone, I probably a thousand times, I don't know how many times. I was repeating that. If you understand how your brain works, you're cutting new grooves, you, you know, thoughts are, amen. Because one of the more, listen to me now, what we've grabbed a hold of right here tonight and starting last Sunday and this morning and again tonight, th this one, whew, th amen, this is, let me say it another way. If there's a truth that's going to stagger you, this will be the one. This one will stagger you right here. It's sad to me that so few people have ever even heard born-again people, people who love God, people who've, who've done their best to live for God the whole life but have never even heard this, or if they have heard it, they immediately rejected it as, you know, it's not can't be so, can't be right, yet there are dozens and dozens of verses. It's not like we've taken one and twisted it a little bit to make it say something that we want it to say. No, dozens of verses that confirm this. Amen. I made a statement this morning. I'm going to make it again and I'm going to pray, okay? We're not here to find and do what's popular. We're here to find and do what pleases God. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for helping us tonight. Thank you for loving us tonight. Thank you, Father, that we understand now better than we ever have that this life is a training ground and a proving ground. Preparing, building the body of Christ. And Father, the men and women standing in front of me all are a part of it. They're, 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 we're in on this, Father, the fellowship of the mystery. Lord, we've covered a lot tonight. If I know anything, I know, Lord, that only your Holy Spirit can open our eyes to these things, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming alongside tonight. Every person in this room and illuminating our hearts with a spirit of wisdom and revelation where these things are concerned. Help us, Father. Pursue and lay hold and reach and, and go after the embodiment of the things that you're revealing to us. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Shake somebody.